Hello, how's it going? Um, I'm good. Thank you for asking. Um, I said last time that I was cold. I'm cold again. This room is cold. Um, and yeah, uh, what else is new in my life? Um, I finished with uni for the semester, which is pretty good. Um, I am, um, yeah, that's it. That's all. That's all. Nothing, nothing else. I actually can't think of anything else, which is a bit unfortunate, but, um, yeah, today I spoke with my housemate. Her name was, her name was, her name is Steph. Um, she's an artist. She works in a bookshop. She knows so much. Um, she's a, she's probably the best cook ever. Um, and yeah, she's really helped me understand who I am. Um, or help, yeah, helped me kind of understand what I need to understand in order to understand who I am. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know what this podcast is about, um, you should check out my intro, which I have posted, um, above somewhere above, maybe above. I don't, I don't know. It's going to be somewhere on like whichever platform you found this podcast, you should go and listen to my intro. And there I I talk a bit more about what the podcast is going to be about. Um, And yeah, you should get a better sense of me, who I am and what I'm wanting to do here. Um, For a bit of background uh, about Steph, uh, Steph is half Lebanese and half Slovenian. Um, And yeah, as I said, she's my housemate. Um, So this was a really intimate conversation. Um, and while we were speaking, I realized that it was a bit strange because I know her so well um, and we've spent so much time in the same space and we we speak a lot about things. Um, most nights we have long conversations about things and it was strange speaking. We both remarked that like we felt as though and there was a point in the conversation where I brought it up and I was like, it's pretty strange, like the whole pod, the the idea of like an interview is a very strange thing. Um, it's not the same as, although I feel that my conversation with her was very similar to ones that we would normally have, but it's very hard to speak as if you, as to speak how you normally would with someone. And I don't know, like, you know, go into normativity, whatever, what's a normal way of speaking, but you know what I mean? Um, you, I felt like I was speaking differently because I had to accommodate to, you, the listener, I had to like, not accommodate, that sounds like I was, you know, it was a real burden for me, your presence, even though, you know, are you here? I don't know. Where are you in your listening space? Um, yeah, uh, it was, yeah. And so I think like the familiarity of our, of us, how well I know Steph. Um, yeah, I, I hope it doesn't, I hope you don't feel excluded um, because, no, I'm sure you won't. Um, I, yeah, that was just kind of like I was a little bit worried while we were speaking that like there was it was a bit too familiar. Um, we were too familiar. Um, yeah, and this like she's a close friend of mine, and so it didn't really feel like an interview. Um, like it was it was a conversation, I'd say. So yeah, and we spoke about the migrant experience, um, the Arab experience. Um, yeah, the you know the experience of being viewed as the exotic Oriental other. Um, yeah, it's a pretty raw conversation. And again, um, we discuss heavy themes relating to our experiences with racism and otherness. So, um, yeah, it, it's a really, it was a really beautiful conversation. I hope you enjoy it.
Hello. Hi. What's your name? Stephanie. Why? Bard. Why? Yeah. Um, I was named after my grandfather, St- Stephen. Okay. Stefan. <laughs> That's Actually? How, yeah. Yeah, you've told me that. <laughs> yeah. And um, who are you? Um, wow. So we're getting we're getting right in there. I'm. Who am I? In what way? I'm a person. I just. I just. Um. I just raised my eyebrows when she said, "In what way?" Because. Because. Because it, it's for you. It's for me. It's for you to okay. unpack. Who am I? Um. And by the way, I think what would be good for yes. this podcast. Yes. Is if we try and explain, like when I explain that I raise my eyebrows, yes. it's so that it's because the person we're, we're inside the microphone can, can like feel, they, they can, can feel, feel us in the room. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alexander has his feet up and Alexander. he's really comfortable by the looks of it. Okay. Um, who am I? Yeah. I'm a person who is trying to live a big, honest life. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's it. And who am I? I'm a little bit, I think I'm very like, I wear myself in my face. In your own face. In my face. I think if you've ever met me, I don't think I have a lot to hide. (laughs) I think I'd like to be a bit of an enigma, but I'm not. I think like- You're not Batwoman. I'm not Batwoman. I'm I'm not much of a mystery. Okay. If you ask me a question, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll tell you what I think. Okay. Yeah. I think that's who I am. Okay. Uh, is that who you want to be? Yeah, I do. But almost, I think I want to claim it more. Okay. Yeah. I want... Like you want to claim it for yourself more or you want to claim it in such a way that the person who is learning who you are or the people who are learning who you are will know who you are more? No, for myself for because I get really uncomfortable around the idea of performing my identity. Yeah. And... I don't know. It's something I'm still trying to figure out because I think it can be a really positive thing for a lot of people, mm. recognizing that you are performing your identity and you have control over how you present and how people see you. But something in that for me just doesn't feel right mm. for me. Mm. I feel like I want to be as authentic as I can with the people I'm interacting with in terms of my subjective experience. Yeah. I share with my friends my thoughts. Like I'm not I don't want to be filtering things through the way I communicate in terms of like how I dress, how I look, how I express myself, what I talk about. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea of being inauthentic, although performance doesn't have to be inauthentic to me it feels that way. Okay. Um and Okay, so th- you you don't want to perform. No. And you don't want to do that because it's inauthentic. It feels It feels inauthentic. Yeah. So if you're not performing, what are you doing? Just being yourself? Yeah, just being. Okay. Yeah. Do you think, do you know anyone that's like that? I think it's impossible to tell. Okay. I think, I definitely feel like there are people, like I I know people who are with me and they're not performing in the sense that they're, consciously presenting mm. in a certain way mm. but i think the element of performance that i like is the i don't have to i don't have to show you who i am if i, I don't want to that mm. and i don't have to share absolutely everything because in that there's a little bit of a which i've felt in the past that comes from a place of needing to prove myself okay so i like that i can keep things private 
yeah. as well. And yeah. I can select what I say. Yeah. And I don't need to be understood by everyone I'm interacting with. I need to be honest in communicating myself, though, which, yeah, I guess is how I feel about the idea of performance. <laughs> right. And if you, if you think everyone was like that, mm. do you think the world would be a better place? If everyone was... Yeah, if, just, every, if everyone was just themselves. I mean, I don't know if I see it as... If I understand the problem as people not being themselves, but I think people... I think the world would be a better place if people were concerned with just being you rather. sound throaty <laughs> is this better that, alexander it's really crispy now thank you thank you Stephanie. um pleasure that was beautiful i believe that people the world would be a better place if people were concerned with just being and with not and with being for themselves mm. and not in a way that's I'm only concerned with myself, but in a way that's I'm not filtering the way I present through the eyes of the people I'm interacting with. Yeah. And that's the part that I think makes me uncomfortable when that is what people are doing when they're performing or presenting in yeah. a certain way. Mm. I'm not sure you answered my question. Though. What was your question? Would the world be a better place? I think so. Okay. Thanks for answering my question. P pleasure. Um, yeah. This whole performance thing, I think I think I perform, or in the past I performed a lot more. Um, okay. And I think it's because I didn't know how to be myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that I had to perform to figure out what was me and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. Or I think that I realized that I was performing. Um, and then I realized that that wasn't myself. What did performing mean to you? Um, like how did it manifest? Yeah, how did it manifest? How did it, how did you experience it? Um, I think I experienced it as, as the product of anxiety. Like whatever mm -hmm. anxiety became was the performance. Yeah. Yeah. So like if I was really stressed, Mm -hmm. I would become a certain way because like in order to protect myself from the stress that I felt mm -hmm. and in order not to show the world that I was stressed or anxious. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, <clears throat> geez, I'm pretty throaty today. It's just what we're about. Yeah. Um, here. Really? <laughs> Alex and I share a living space and, you know, it, it means we share a lot of other things. Steph. Including germs. Yeah. <laughs> You've been sick for like a month. Yeah. I mean, feel lucky that I don't live, work in a cool center anymore. I was oh. going to say live in a cool center. That's terrifying. Imagine the air in no. there. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually it's bad dank. air. It is sick air. Yeah. It is sick air. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sanitize your little desk. Really? Mm. They give you wipes? They give you wipes and they smell like so sterile. Oh, hospital? Hospital. Wow. You worked in the hospital call center? Yes. Wow. Mm. Did you get sick a lot? I did. A lot, a lot? Yes. Was there a lot of coughing? Yes. That's really gross. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. That's fucked up. <laughs> yeah, my body is a unit of labor, so. But that's, okay. Okay. So, well, so is mine, but I guess it's not a, a unit of labor in a call center. No. You know, I worked like 45 minutes in a call center. I didn't know that. Which call center? Okay. Somewhere in the city. Yeah. And how did it go? Explain the 45 minutes, maybe. Uh, it was, the interviewer was like the most... I I can't I think like he was probably like a sociopath or something you know how like they climb they're the ones that climb yes yeah like he he had climbed he'd climbed yeah to be the but like he was like you know the the suit was like too clean mm-hmm. like the forehead was too shiny mm. and like the gaze was like yeah he's like welcome yes and then he heard me speak and he's like your voice is smooth like chocolate whoa and I was like ah Thank you, man. He said that to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then... Um, no one said that to me, but I... Oh, jeez. I stayed. What did they say? Your your voice is smooth like the plague. I don't think they commented on my voice, which, oh. is, which is a little disappointing. Oh. Well, um, you can go back to this place and this, the shiny, four-headed, clean-suited man can mm. give you a suit com- uh, voice compliment. Um, oh, yeah, and then... So, I worked for 45 minutes and then... They gave me this form to fill out and I I began, in about the first minute, I began questioning whether or not it was a real business. And then I, I think I decided that it wasn't a real business. So, I right. just walked out and didn't, like, all they had was, like, an email address. Mm. But they're, like, I, I think it was, like, a trial shift or whatever. Right. Yeah, but that was a sick room. I thought you were saying that more, was like, a, a sick real day. place because they don't feel like real places. Oh, that didn't feel like a real place, no. yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway, what was I saying? I feel like I was about to say something maybe a little bit profound. Call centers, sick, throat. Throat. E. E. Performance. Performance. Anxiety. Anxiety. You're talking about anxiety and you performing oh, yeah, coming and, from your and stress. And yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask something. Were you still? Yeah, so the, I think the point I was going to finish on was that. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm not sure. I think I became aware. So. With you, it sounds like performance is a good word to describe what you may or may not have been doing. With me, I'm not sure performance is the best way for me to describe it, but I feel like that a better way for me to describe it is like putting on and taking off the mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's what I did, and that's mm-hmm. what I do still. Okay. And like, I think when I feel so, like when I feel uncomfortable or something, or like I put on the mask and I change. And I think, I think it's what I've done to cope for most of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think, I think I'm quite delicate. Yeah, like I think that I'm sen- like very sensitive to like my emotions, and I'm easily consumed by them. And it takes me a long time to get out of my head, mm. if if that if at all. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. And uh, anyway, the, the final. The actual point that I wanted to make was that the way I felt like I was performing was interpreted as the opposite of what I felt inside, which was that people think that I am this cool, calm, collected, zen spirit that just kind of drifts through the world. Mm. And like in my head, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that was just like an interesting like paradox. Interesting yeah. contradiction between what was happening in this 
I'm pointing to my to my head in this inside yes. my head and what's happening out there. And now I'm pointing to Steph and the world outside. Oh, do you have my shoulder click? I did. Jeez. You're clicky. No. Throaty. Yuck. A lot's happening here right uh. now. Um, question is, do you think that that experience of anxiety and stress that you seem to suggest <clears throat> that you seem to suggest prompted or prompts still this mask putting on and taking off um is that stress and anxiety about being seen no what is it about hmm maybe it was like i i don't know what it was about like i don't think it, be- it- i don't think it beca- began as a conscious thing mm-hmm. i don't think i decided like mm-hmm. i think i it would have started when i was a kid okay um it may have been it may have been like yeah like my dad had a very intense presence mm. and i think he expected me to kind of be on top of things all the time mm-hmm. and i think that you know the the little sigmund freud in me likes to think that that was like that may have been a place where it originated like mm-hmm. me feeling a lot me thinking that like, oh no, this isn't how he'd want it to be. As he as in my dad, this isn't how he'd want me to be. And so I'd put on the mask and like, I'd just feel everything inside and on the outside, it'll mm. all be okay. Yeah. But like, I became so good at it mm. that people would like, like, you know, people would, yeah. Some people would just like, they wouldn't believe me when I'd say that like, you know, I, mm. I'm a very anxious person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, because it kind of sounds to me, I don't want to project this onto your experience, but it just sounds like if if that experience with your dad of feeling like. Oh, well, I, 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 that's just like. No, yeah. You said like, you know, was it a decision? Mm. And I like haven't thought about it until you asked that question. That's mm. where my mind took me. Mm. Just as an example. Yeah. Like, I, and I guess I'm interested less about the decision but more about the the being seen part of it because, yeah. I mean, why do you need to put on a mask? Mm. Why do you need to, you know, I guess we started talking about performance mm. as something or using that word kind of in opposition to the idea of just being. Mm. And to me, from my own experience, the difference feels like it's about being seen mm. Or thinking about the way you're seen mm. that prompts the desire or not even the desire, but the the act of performing an identity mm. because it feels like it's for others. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, at the same time as it feels like it's for others, it's it's also for me. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's a very strange, like, activity. Yeah. Because, like, it's good. Mm. Because, well, it's good because, it's reassuring because it's okay on the outside. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not being met with concern mm-hmm. and, like, distress. Mm-hmm. Like, the, I'm not presenting as, like, this basket case of mm-hmm. emotion. So there's some safety? Or 
Um, no. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't think it, that that's. I don't it's think I'm like this as much anymore. Okay. I think because I've calmed down a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think as I've got older, and yeah, another interesting thing is that I've never really been aware of the changes. Mm-hmm. Like it hasn't been. It, it's not as if like I ran into a wall mm. and like hit my head and mm. then like became a different person or anything. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you think there's a degree of becoming more comfortable with yeah. just communicating your, yourself as yeah. you are? Yeah. Yeah. And I think communication, like explaining and exploring with others, has mm. been the best the best thing for me. Mm. Yeah. The most helpful. Mm. Oh. You okay? Yeah. But it's just... The mic is vicious. The mic me. is just gross. I like it, but... No, but it, you don't want it to touch... When it, that... that it just hit mm. my mouth. Mm. Imagine how many mouths have been around this thing. Yeah. And like people, it's not like, it's not just the mouth. It's like the hot air from the within. the hot air. I do. I like the image of like hot singing into a mic though. Like really passionate singing. Really? Like with mouth on mic. But I think that's not everyone's cup of tea. That's not mine. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll save it for another, another time. Um, what about you? What about me? I don't know. What about you? And my experience of what we're talking about. Hmm. How does this relate back to your performance analogy? Yeah, I suppose the reason I was interested in the whole being seen thing is because, you know, when I said, oh, it's fathers and you said, and it's for yourself. Hmm. Um, yeah, I relate to that. And I think that's true for a lot of people because you internalize the gaze of others. Hmm. And I've experienced that in a, in a big way. Hmm. I still do, but like I think probably similarly to you, it's dissipated a little bit as I've become more comfortable in myself and in just being myself yeah. um, for myself. But yeah, I definitely think like I've experienced like the need to be liked by others. And I think, I mean, this isn't performance, I, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's maybe it is a type of performance, but just like really it doesn't feel like a performance. It feels like a desperate kind of like oh, like I'm trying to please people and mm. I'm conducting myself in a way to please people. Um Yeah. Mm. And avoiding conflict and that sort of thing. Mm. But I think that might be slightly different. Right. Um this thing of pleasing people. Mm. Um where do you think that comes from? Uh, low self-esteem. Okay. Yeah. You think it's from within? F- well, for me or for... For you. For me, I yeah, I think so. I think it comes from like a... Well, I don't really, I don't really experience it as much, like, so, like a lot now. Mm. But in the past, I guess, it's come from like a deep belief that I'm not enough. So I'm like, okay... What am I, you know, I have to be palatable to everybody. Mm. And that's my, that's what I can take some strength in or that's how I can connect to people. I just have to, I have to be liked. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because I was asking you that because I wondered whether, um, like how much of it you felt was social pressure and how much was insecurity. Social pressure in what way? Like expectation of you. Mm-hmm. 
by the rest of the world? From? From. From. Um... I think largely me, but I think the, I guess some social expectation probably has come from people telling me I'm like a nice person or a fun person or a like easygoing person or whatever. It's one of and the worst things you can do, hey? Tell someone who they are. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Like, like people telling me that I'm calm. Yeah. Well, just any, any kind of. Don't fucking tell me don't that. Don't tell me that. I think, I think it's most damaging when we're children. Mm. Um, but that, yeah, I remember you. I remember yeah. you saying, yeah, yeah. your parents. Well, yeah, my parents definitely always, and they still do, but always referred to me as like a bubbly, beautiful child. Hmm. And, you know, and I'm, I'm, I experience deep and complex emotions. I'm a very emotional person. Hmm. And so when that started coming up for me at a very young age, I was like, what the, like, what is wrong with me? And I felt so distant and disconnected from my feelings because I was told that I was happy and I was like erased effectively in mm. that. Um, yeah. And so it's taken me a long time and I still disconnect from myself and disconnection is a big problem for me still, but I'm, I mean, I'm like worlds away from where I've been. I'm like, you know, I'm, very, I'm like a lot more connected to who I am, who is an emotional and an emotionally complex person. Um, so yeah, I guess in that sense, it is there, there is definitely, a social origin as well. Hmm. Um, I mean, yeah. I think a lot of things are traced back to a social origin or hmm. our experiences, yeah. Hmm. So, do you want to have kids? I think so. How how would you parent differently? I I'm it's a good question. I've been thinking a lot. Thank you. In the last <laughs> in the last as you know, like year or so about parenting and how it's not an experience that I would enter into lightly and I think if I do become a parent I think the key difference for me would be not expecting my children to complete me or to fill in gaps that I have as a person or gaps in my life and for them to not heal my traumas and mm. to f work on healing my own pain before I have children so that I don't communicate that pain to them mm. because, you know, intergenerational trauma is huge mm. and it's the way that we communicate things to our children um, and this, yeah, like in my family, it's it's been really interesting because – both of my parents aren't from Australia originally. Mm. So my dad came from Lebanon when he was a kid. My mum's parents came from Slovenia as, as adults. And it's interesting because, yeah, in my family's home communication, like verbal communication about anything emotional or anything, anything like important, I guess, existentially was not. A thing mm. and is continues to not be a thing mm. and so things get communicated really subliminally like you know for example the you're not a, you know you having feelings isn't okay so yeah. you're a happy child mm. and a lot of people experience that um i'm sure can relate to that experience but yeah 
Um, yeah. Okay. I don't remember what, what <laughs> your question was. You said it was a good question as yeah. well. I know. I'm sorry. Was, uh, how would you parent differently? Oh, yeah. Well. Well, yeah. I, that's <laughs> your answer. Um, right. And this is a slightly same topic but slightly different question. Because we've fucked the environment, mm-hmm. would that influence your decision? To have children? Yeah. Like, do you think that mm. there should be – how much do you think people should think about the environmental impact? Yeah. I think – And obviously that, like, I ask that from a certain position – Mm-hmm. Like I, I ask that question because, fortunately, I feel as though I have the capacity to do things mm-hmm. to arrange my life in such a way that I can reduce mm-hmm. my impact. But mm-hmm. I understand that that's not a possibility for everyone. Okay. Or maybe it is. Well, what are you talking about in your own life? And like, I can like I donate meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I, I can buy organic and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like I can, which and like it's a bit more expensive. Yeah, yeah. And so immediately I am removing myself from. Well, that you know, the more as it is in a capitalist society, mm. the more expensive things are. Mm. You know, the less. Mm. people are, are going to be able to afford them. Mm. The fewer people are going to be able to afford them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like that, that's just an example. But mm. what, what, what do you think? Well, like I'm just thinking like, you know, again, like I feel like we live in a bubble in Carlton North mm. and the people around us care a lot about the environment mm. and the young people who are friends with care a lot about the environment. And when I asked you that question, I was asking you that question from a position of someone who is in that bubble mm. who is around people who care and are concerned mm-hmm. i don't the messages i i have received from the the outside world which is like a lot of people like mm. seven billion plus people mm. is that like mo- most people don't care about the environment yeah 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 so like when i ask you that question mm. when i said that i'm asking you that from a certain position mm. yeah it's because I think I, I I realized this a while ago and then forgot. It's not not too many people care. So are you saying that? Well, I don't think that. The, sorry, I keep cutting you off. It's okay. What are you gonna say? Well, I was just wondering. Okay, you, you're acknowledging that you're coming from a certain position. Mm. Do you then think that there's responsibility that comes with the position of being in the the privileged few who do? You know, your pr- caring is a privilege, right? Yeah. Having the time and the money mm. to to make those decisions and yeah. to learn and to whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think having children is a, is a bit of a different or a, very, a particular kind of part of that, mm. this problem. Mm. Um, like I think, I don't think I would choose not to have children purely for an environmental reason hmm. because I think it's kind of misguided, Yeah. to be honest. Yeah. I think population growth is like 
I mean, I don't, I'm not speaking from any particular kind of expertise at all, mm. but like what I understand is that, yeah, okay. I mean, it does, it obviously is, has its issues, but like the way we're living is the issue in terms of capitalism and consumerism mm. and just stop buying things. And yeah, like, I guess, I guess though, I think it's more of like, a social the social kind of obsession with like having children maybe i think could be part of the problem does that make sense yeah like what you were saying before like mm. the answer to your problem the answer to your problems and people and it is and it's like part of it's part of our social it's part of the structure yeah yeah it is and yeah. it's a the it's, family the, the family, family yeah. the family like and you know, I think we've talked about this, just mm. how like living in the world that we live in and choosing not to go down that path is really lonely. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I definitely don't want to just have a, you know, have a child, have a family, whatever, couple up and do that whole thing mm. just to avoid loneliness. Mm. But, you know, it's hard to not go the way that society kind of supports and encourages, right? Yeah. But I guess I think people being more conscious in the way they do and do not couple up and create families, I think has a, its role to play yeah. in the environmental crisis. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess like, I think my, like I'm glad we spoke about the yeah. environment a lot, but I think like I was, I, my, my question was supposed to be like, okay. are there any ethical or moral things that would feature in your decision to have children yeah yeah but i guess for me it would be more about the what i talked about yeah. before yeah. yeah the personal like mm. you d you don't bring do i look comfortable now no i'm, I'm comfortable actually yeah <laughs> that looks even worse that's, that's better actually yeah i like that i can see you better i like seeing you okay. without the metal in between okay right. hello hi Hello, Stephanie. Alexander. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Children. Children. Big decisions. Yeah. Hey. Laurie Paul. Yes. Yeah. She talks about kitties. About it as an experience. Transformative. Transformative experience. She which would I argue. Totally agree with. Really? Not that I've had a child. Oh. <laughs> she would argue that you don't know. You can't make yeah. an informed decision about yes. whether or not you want to have a child because you don't know but what, how, you don't know how you're going to change. Of course. Yeah. And I, yeah, but I think you can, I think you can interrogate yourself from where you are hmm. as to whether you're entering into that experience for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's right. And for those of you who don't know who Laurie Paul is, I did an interview with Laurie Paul. Um, you should listen to it. Um, and her, her philosophy of the transformative experience can be summarized as follows. Um, it's the idea that it's kind of like a knowledge, a knowledge-based claim about experience. So you can't know how you, what you, you can't make an informed decision about an experience that you haven't yet had. So you can't decide, as I said before, you can't, she would argue, Laurie would argue, that you can't make an informed decision about whether or not you want to have a child because you haven't had 
the experience of having a child yet. So you don't know what it's going to be like for you. So you can rely on testimony. You can speak to your mum, to your dad. Um, you can speak to, to other people who have had children. And you can try and figure out how you fit in the context of all of that. But you can't, you can't make a decision based on how it's going to be, how you are going to fit into it. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, I think that's what should argue. Mm. Um, sorry, that was just... What bit was, of context. Bit of context. Mm. Yeah. And you don't know... There's so much you don't know mm. and you can't know until you are a parent. Yeah. But, yeah, there's that degree of work that needs to be done. And I, don't, I think it's not even just about parenting but about any kind of relationship that you're in, friendship, romance, whatever. Yeah. You need to do work on yourself so yeah. you're not bringing in any sort of kind of dysfunctional as much as that word isn't ideal (laughs) but like dysfunctional worldviews beliefs whatever yeah into a relationship with another individual yeah 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 i think you're right um but i think that's very hard to do i agree yeah and it's not talking perfection as well i'm talking about work as an ongoing thing yeah I don't really know anyone. Maybe you're the only person that I know who actually does that. Thank you. That means a lot. Hmm. Yeah, and it's taken me, it's like a, it's like a life journey <laughs> that hmm. is still happening. Hmm. But I guess because, you know, I've, exp- I've really, yeah, I've experienced a, lo- a lot of different types of relationships where I feel like I've, it hasn't been what I'm describing on my part and on the part of others. Yeah. People are bringing their baggage in a way that isn't healthy. Yeah. For you and for them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it it would be healthier if, if the baggage was... Um, in progress. Yeah, in progress. And acknowledge. Acknowledge and in the present. Like, you know, baggage that's being seen and being owned. Responsibility comes into it. I'm thinking I'm thinking of it like a suitcase. Yeah, me too. It and it and it kind of it it kind of is. And a lot of the time the suitcase, you don't even know you're carrying it. Yeah. And then you pass it on to whoever you're with. And you're like, hey, cool, like, love me, hold this. Yeah. And like, like ah. and you're like, I'm drowning. Yeah. Like you got a heavy suitcase. You have a heavy suitcase and I'm holding my own. Yeah. And now I'm holding both of our suitcases. Yeah. And this plane is only carry on. This plane is only carry on, mate. Jetstar's weighing, not weighing today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you can't bring on a suitcase. You, ca- you know. <laughs> Too heavy. It's more than seven but kilos. This plane's going to crash. Yeah. Yeah. And I think. My parents have done that to me and continue to do that mm. to me. And I'm and I think a lot of people and I and I guess yeah, if anyone with well, I guess a lot of people with immigrant parents can have experienced something in that capacity. That's a big claim, but I mean, I guess a lot of the time, at least for my family and like my friends with parents who have immigrated, there's this there is almost like a survival that takes precedence over this more like emotional handling, emotional baggage. 
if that if that does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. Survival of the of the family of unit? the family okay. of I mean, there's a survival in terms of like you know bodily survival, like literally, yeah. like if you're coming from a place of war, there's survival in that sense. There's survival in terms of yeah the family as well, which is big, and I guess that's more of my experience. There's not really, you know, I think more of like generations before my parents experiencing more of the direct war mm. starvation kind of side of survival but i guess this is where i relate to intergenerational trauma because yeah then it turns into this preservation of family mm. that for me misses the individual experience and yeah because it yeah yeah it it discourages I'm not saying your family mm. but like i like that really resonated with me um mm. and i think what i took from it was like the suffer there are some things that aren't spoken about yeah and that's like that's in the suitcase yeah and, and like that makes the suitcase heavy as totally communication yeah. nonverbal communication yeah. and yeah, things are carried and communicated yeah. in ways. And like the history. History. Yeah, the history of the family is such that it some things aren't spoken about. Yeah. And it's just stuff is just passed mm. on and on and on, generation yeah. after generation. And how you learn things and don't learn things yeah. I think is really interesting. Yeah. What? Wait, what do you mean? So like I guess in my family not a lot is spoken about in terms of I think I think I'm in a kind of interesting position where like I'm not really directly connected to either of my cultural or ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. Um, How neither am I. Yeah. Mm. And it's a really, it's, it's quite a challenging place to be in mm. many ways. It's really like there's a deep sense of loss that comes with that and a, a sense of estrangement and liminality. And yeah, so that's, I guess by that's, that's kind of, what I meant by things that aren't learned. So there are things, there are histories that are rich but erased. And because, you know, and when I, when I try to speak to my parents about it now, I guess there's this attitude of assimilation that, but it's almost like a, you know, loving the new country kind of thing. Like, so, we, you know, why would we teach you Arabic? Like mm. it's not, there's no need and you're Australian and, and I understand that. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's the way things aren't learned. And things are also learned through the way – it's interesting how the things are learned when they're not verbally communicated, I think. Mm, mm. I've learned a lot from my mother just, you know, through body language yeah. and through things that, like, you're not allowed to talk about and things mm. that are assumed as truths mm. that it took me, like – you know, 15 years to work out, okay, this isn't an object objective truth, mm. like religion, mm. right? I can, like, negotiate my own relationship mm. with religion or mm. whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, this is, like, this is a really interesting dynamic mm. because – We've lived together for nearly seven months mm. and 
or six months. Mm. And I haven't ever felt as though, like, it's just, it's interesting because I know, I feel like I really know you, but while I speak into the microphone, there's like a third person sitting there who I'm pointing to this other microphone that's empty on the other side of the room. There's a third person that's sitting there that doesn't know anything about me, Mm. doesn't know anything about you, Mm. but is hearing like a familiarity Mm. and like a comfort. Mm. And I'm seeing that person as being uncomfortable Mm. because they're excluded from something. Mm. And this interview is different to every single other interview I've done because I haven't done an interview with someone that I know well Mm. and that I feel comfortable around because I normally meet the person that I interview as they're sitting in the chair. Yeah. And... I keep pausing because I pause a lot when I speak. Like <laughs> like just then. Grinning. Yeah, grinning. Um, that actually wasn't intentional, which is pretty funny. Um, but I'm pausing a lot because I'm trying to s- – I don't, I don't want to speak in a way that excludes the third person mm-hmm. by assuming too much. Yeah. What, like do you, do you think it's – like is it weird being Who there? is the third person? I don't know. Okay. I don't know who the third person is. Yeah. But the, I guess like it's the listener, but yeah. it's not. It's but, just like, like I'm kind of afraid. I'm wondering whether you're who you're seeing the third person as, as to whether are they outside of us, the culture of our friendship, I guess you could, or the language of yeah, our friendship. Yeah, yeah, they are. Right. Or, well, because everyone is. Of course. Yeah. But I, I guess, or oh, is there also the layer of them being outside of our experience as, you know, like we have similar experiences, yeah. even yeah. though they're different, but yeah. with like our parents and yeah. families. And yeah. so whether they don't understand. Well, yeah. Yeah. That. Like this is, there's like, there's that too. Like there's a bit of discomfort because I don't know what it's like for the person listening. If this, if this isn't, if they haven't had anything like this happen. Mm. Yeah. If they haven't, if they haven't had, if they aren't very different to the traditions that they've inherited. Mm. Yeah, if they haven't had a world that they are comfortable with given to them. Mm. Because like Yeah, and like I'm not a, I'm not I don't know. Like mm. the, I don't know who's listening. Mm. Um but like it's a bit strange. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I was going to ask you about religion and I think I will. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe just like maybe it can come under the topic of um of things that you have been brought up around mm. that you have let go of okay um because I wasn't brought up around a religion mm. it was just my mum who raised me, my dad was mm. who knows um and she, like, she had a very... You met her for the first time yesterday. Oh, no. No, I've met her before. But, like... <laughs> but we, we chilled. We chilled. We had tea. We had... We did. Um, and I said... I said, when I spoke with Madison, I said that my mum had, like, this really hand... And I think I said this to you as well, like, hands-off. Mm. She had, like, a really hands-off parenting style and mm. just kind of let me fill the world. Yeah, I'd say I'd experience the opposite. Yeah, 
But at the same, then there's my dad, mm. who's like the opposite of that. Right. But he wasn't around. But I had the idea mm. of, I had like, I was getting prescriptions from my dad. Mm. Like, this is the way the world is. Mm. This is what you are to feel. As a man, like, you know, mm. like this is your responsibility. Like, you must be a doctor. Like, you must, mm. you must set the example. Mm. And then my mum, because she had like a, a, a very rough childhood. Mm. Oh, didn't not rough like just she wasn't treated well by her parents mm. or by her brother um yeah and yeah i don't know where i was taking that yeah. but i think i i like i well, i think one thing that is different between our lived exp- our family experience is that for me there is no unit there is no family unit Mm. There is nothing that's shared. Mm. Everyone, like my family, everyone, my family experience has been like an atomizing experience. Mm -hmm. Like everything is just individual Mm. and separate. Mm. And like I'm pretty different to my mum, who's pretty different to my dad. Everyone's just really different. And no, there's nothing bringing people together apart from, it seems like there's nothing bringing people together apart from the fact that like we are family like we're related like there isn't there isn't like a religion there isn't like an understanding of a shared value system or like like that sounds really stupid like of course there is but like there isn't i get it it yeah i wasn't i didn't feel like i don't feel like i do because there is no meeting of a group of people there's not the structure yeah there's not the structure yeah, yeah. it's just like hands up yeah. But otherwise, like, I feel like I've had a very different cultural upbringing to most of my friends. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, like, I, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard for me to speak about this kind of stuff because it's not hard to speak about it with you, but and it, it's hard to, I don't think I can speak about it with my friends <clears throat> who are white. And I don't think I've really had too many, like too many, I don't think I felt comfortable speaking about it because there isn't, it rarely feels like there's much overlap in terms of like, the crazy clash of cultures like yeah of the the home yeah and the outside i yeah like relate to that because i feel like i especially in the last few years i'm very yeah not so much in high school but in the last few years i've been quite verbal with like my friends about my experience with my parents as we've yeah, experience lots of clashing. Um, but I do with my – I guess a lot of my friends are white and I do feel like they don't they're, – they're great. They're wonderful friends and wonderful people. But I do some – I do feel when I talk about it like they just don't understand because they – I mean, they don't, yeah, of course. Yeah. They haven't experienced it. Yeah. And, and it's not it's there's, not, it's not fault. a fault, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. But, but there is like an isolation yeah. that comes from that. Yeah. And there's a – particularly because – in my experience, the way that I've been affected by my family's dynamics 
around religion and around, I mean, it's part of religion, but around silence. Yeah. It's affected me in very implicit ways. That's how I would describe it. A very implicit um, kind of pain I've experienced around mental health and my family and I guess my experience with religion. Although that's easier to talk about because it is more obviously jarring, I guess, to people. Um, did you still want to talk about religion? Yeah, but but go down either part. Or okay. Both. Well, religion. My family are Catholic, and yeah, I guess I mentioned before about the whole like the way it was given to me. Like I went to church every week for most of my life, which is pretty wild now to think about because I'm very distant from that and I'm not religious. But are you an atheist? I don't, I don't really feel like the need. Okay. To sort that out. Okay. Like I don't. I'm really comfortable feeling like, <laughs> I don't know, like a deep kind of connection to my existence as a, as a person <laughs> sure. in, yeah. in the world. Yeah. And like. Oh yeah. I don't think the, the label doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't either. mean anything to me though. Yeah. So, I mean, would you, would someone else classify me as an atheist? Mm. Probably, I guess. Mm. I don't really know, but I don't really care or need to mm. use those words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I, I'm not religious though, I, I would say that. Mm. But I guess and, like the reason why I asked you that is because mm. I wondered whether once upon a time you believed there was a God. I did. And now you believe there is no God. That, um, I think that's the question. Or, or, yeah, I think, or like w what happened? I guess if we talk about God, that's a whole thing because I don't believe in a God, in the God as character. Yeah. Um. I don't believe in a vague essence of God either, but I guess I don't believe in absolute. I don't know. I think I believe in some kind of like mystical beauty and something transcendent, but I don't necessarily believe that it is a mystery beyond the mystery of science and matter. As in one that like couldn't be comprehended by science and matter? I think there might be different things because I don't know if science will ever reach the point where it's wrapped its head up around everything that it potentially could. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess, but in using those words, like science and matter, I, what I mean is like, I guess like, you know, the problem of consciousness and is consciousness more than just like the brain sort mm. of thing. I guess for me, I think consciousness is an incredible thing, but like is – I don't think it really has to be like out from out there. Yeah. I think it can be incredible and mystical and come from the brain. Yeah. Does that make sense? So yeah. I guess anyways, to sum that up really briefly, that's kind of how I feel about God. But yes, in but religion, I guess it's, yeah, I don't know. I really had to interrogate my own values and like what do I think is right and wrong, especially around sex because that's in Catholicism a big kind of taboo mm. and a big, I mean, yeah, it's quite – rigidly tied to the ritual of marriage mm. and I had to negotiate that in a way that you know really kind of was yeah really jarring to my family I guess and continues to be mm. and yeah so that's the religion path I guess so I think it'd be interesting for us to talk about our experience as people who are 
like ethnically mixed or, you know, not as our ethnicity isn't obviously visually linked to an ex- to a place. Yeah. Right? People don't people might guess where we're from. Yeah. Right? So what are your thoughts on that? What's your experience as a person of color who doesn't necessarily look obviously attached to a certain racial identity? Um from the from the outside or my intra- how people have interacted with me has been it's kind of it's often always happened the same way mm. as in like people who are my age people who i'm friends with or who who are like friendly to me people who aren't racist i'll start with people who aren't racist to mm-hmm. me, towards me um one thing that happened when i was studying my law degree was that i was so it was an extremely white cohort like i i yeah it, it was incredible um i like literally incredible i couldn't believe it like mm-hmm. i felt really really out of place and it was the first time where i felt out of place as someone with darker skin and with a beard or oh, even back then i didn't really have much facial hair i was younger um so that that's not so relevant that's been more of a recent thing but um yeah the i was introduced people couldn't but people didn't know where algeria was people didn't know where macedonia was and Mm -hmm. like yeah that like you know geography isn't like everything but it's just you know like it's it's, history though yeah it's history and also like it it doesn't make you it didn't make me feel like i belonged anywhere Mm. if so if you're like oh my dad's algerian they're like Mm. oh where's that or like my mom's Macedonian. Oh, like isn't that Greece? Um, like great, thanks, thanks. Like you're yeah. going to be my best friend. <laughs> um, yeah, and and then once we got beyond that, people would introduce me to other people as, oh, this is Alex's mum. Like he's half Macedonian, half Algerian. Mm. And then people, it was always white people, mm. and they'd always be like, wow, like Macedonia, Algeria, like that's crazy, mm. like. You must, you're so rare. That's so rare. Mm. Um, which is like, you know, Edward Said classic Orientalist tropes. Yeah. Like that is like, you know, the exotic paradise, mm. tropics, mm. desert, mm. different, heat, sweet, spicy. Woo. 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 Um, yeah. And so that that's how, that's kind of been... That's mostly been my experience. And I think you said that like you and I are both half. Mm. You're half Lebanese Mm. and I'm half Algerian. Um, And so far as I know, we're both half Arab. Your Mm. your family are Arabs, right? Okay. Um, I, when I was younger, I didn't, I think the beard has been the biggest thing. I think that's changed the way people have looked at me the most. It's made it's transition transitioned me from like a strange quasi person of color space into yes. like more obvious. Mm, yeah. Totally. Um and like my, my dad my dad shaves every day mm. and he tells me to shave every day. Mm. Every time I see him he's like you can't like 
yeah, he's like, you can't, people aren't going to speak to you. People aren't mm-hmm. going to trust you if you have a beard. Like you can't go around with the skin color that you have and have a beard. Like it's not going to work for you. And that like that hurts me a lot because I know that that's coming from his, that's driven by his experience. Mm. Um, yeah, he has darker skin than I do. And um, yeah, he's experienced a lot more racism than I have. His, his experience from France, from the stories that I've heard, which yeah, he hasn't told me very many as an Algerian who succeeded in the colonial, who went to a Catholic school in Algeria and succeeded and made his way to France to study medicine. Like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't received well. Um, yeah. And after nine 11, the, the experience as an Arab, as a, a person with dark skin here, like, you know, a Middle Eastern looking mm. kind of person, even though he's from North Africa, um, was, yeah, very, he, I, I, do, I don't think that I experience, I, I don't think that I've experienced that, but I think that's because of where I live mm-hmm. and the people that I spend my time around. Okay. I don't really leave this area very often. And like when I did, when I went out east, I was labeled as, this exotic person. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, in this area, um, I went on a date last year and one of the first questions the, the person asked me was, they were like, oh, um, you know, I bet you get this all the time. Like, you don't look like you're from around here. Where are you from? I was like, what? Like, what? like I, I'm from here. Like, I live in Melbourne. Like, I live in Carlton North. They're like, no, no, like, where are you really from? Like, where are your parents really from? Mm. And I was like, oh, my mum's Macedonian and my dad's Algerian. And they're like, oh, wow. Like, you know, what's it like being here? Like, what? Like, fuck you. Like, I've, like, this is, like, Melbourne's my home. Mm. Like, this is my home. Like, this is where I live. This is where my mum lives. This is where I was raised. Um, And, like, being told that, like, yeah, when I started growing a beard, I think I think it happened at around about the same time that I I was able to, I just understood what life was like more. I became less of like this, this repository for the lessons or the kind of, you know, how other people wanted my life to be, like teachers and parents and that kind of stuff. I became more autonomous. Um. And I think that because the more autonomous I felt that I've become, the more isolated I felt I've become because I just keep noticing the things that people say that make me feel like I'm on the outside. People say a primary school friend, someone who I went to kindergarten, primary school and high school with who lives on my street, who I've obviously known for like two decades, was like, like my hair's getting longer now. And he was like, whoa, like you look so much more ethnic. And I was just like, and like, actually I get that a lot. Like, yeah, just that experience of someone like really looking at me mm-hmm. and really realizing that like whatever their definition of ethnic is, it makes me feel like I'm not from <clears throat> where they think they're from okay, or part of what they think they're part of. Um, and like people are surprised when they meet my mum and she doesn't speak with an accent. I'm really surprised. Um, yeah. What's your experience been like? Very different 
from yours. Like I don't – I think the way – I think I've kind of – yeah, I don't – I've never experienced being racially ambiguous or ethnically ambiguous. I've never really experienced any explicit racism at all that I can think of, right? And I think it's a really kind of unique way of being – you know, being in a body that's not white. I think the way I experience myself is through is a lot more implicit than what you're describing and it's through like yeah people have said things to me but nothing that really like I think the 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 powerful and the enduring way in which I experience myself is from an internalized gaze and you know it's like the male gaze right like women experience themselves and the, their bodies through a male gaze mm. because that's the world we live in and we see our bodies through the eyes of men. And I feel like I've only very recently noticed how I see my body through the eyes of men and through the eyes of white people, mm. men and women. And so it's kind of like, I remember being like younger and trying to work out if I was beautiful or not and how the ideas of beauty that I was confronted with were like white, like skinny white women essentially. And that's a problem for like most people I know mm. regardless of color, but with having a body that's not white, mm. it there's like layers to that. Mm. And um, yeah, so I guess – it's really interesting because having a body that's brown but not almost like not brown enough or like that kind of thing. I feel like I've like whitewashed myself as well, which is like a little bit of a different thing. Um, but, yeah, up until only recently I've kind of realised what it means to kind of live in a body that's not white and how it affects me in a really subliminal way that's different from like, it's not like people telling me I'm ethnic, but you know, I can see the people around me seeing me or, or erasing me yeah. in the way I engage with them. So, and a lot of the time it is like white men that I'm talking about also w white women and how I'm seen. Sometimes I'm seen, I'm not seen. Mm. And I've been like in situations where, and it's so subtle, like it's so subtle. I've been in situations with like, you know, a group of people I might not know or a group of like men. And it's like, I feel like sometimes they, they don't see me because I just, I look like I'm, you know, I'm not that kind of whatever, like the idea of beauty that they have. That's it. Right. And it's not even, it's not even just like a sexual or romantic thing. It's just like as a person as well, because as a woman, your value as a person comes from your like sexual value a lot of the time in that kind of way. In that, in that kind of interacting with people you don't know kind of way, um, people noticing you kind of way. And, yeah, just, I guess, I had another point that I've, like, just blanked on. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was talking about, yeah, yeah, right. So sometimes they erase you and then 
sometimes I've, and I've experienced when people notice me deliberately and in that noticing there's the kind of, I, I'm noticed as like, because of the way that my body is sexualized as a brown body, which is really interesting. And I've like had people like say that to me and like, you know, about like being attracted to certain, it is, it's that like oriental kind of exotic fetishizing of the other. That's mm. what it is. And it's, it's really like, it's, it's really uncomfortable and interesting to kind of be like, someone seeing you and like that Mm. and like telling you that and telling you who you are. Um, Yeah. So that's like, it's interesting. And I think that a lot of that comes from also just from it being so from feeling like I am on the border of color. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I, I also, I feel like I'm on the border. Mm. Um, I feel like the beards pushed me over. Yeah. Uh, or pushed me, for, not over, but like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Me. Into another place as yeah, well. somewhere somewhere different. Um, different associations. Yeah, and like, yeah, this is like a... It's just interesting. Like, my beard is commented on... It's not like big, but like my, my beard isn't... Like, it's not crazy. No, like but it's a, dark and it's... It's like, it's dark mm. and like people talk... Like, they comment on it a lot. Mm. Like, it might be the thing that's commented the most... On it. And like people comment about my appearance a lot. Mm. Like I think more than, I think people think that it's okay to do it because, like it's I'm, positive? No. yeah, like mm. uh, like I'm not white. Mm. I think that it's okay to do it because I'm not white, and so they feel it's often white people who do it. Why do they think it's? What do you mean by they think it's okay because you're not white? Because like I need it. I need like mm. some. I need some. It feels like a. Uh, like they need to validate you yeah i don't and it's like it's often white men as well um yeah yeah like i'm accepted like i'm different but like it's a good different Mm. yeah like my features are like yeah like they're different but like you know they work or Mm. something um I'm, i'm not really like i'm not sure I'm not really like, yeah, but it makes me feel deeply uncomfortable um, because, yeah, the thing you were saying before about measuring yourself against the like beauty being a white man or a white woman. Um, yeah, like I, I was deeply embarrassed by my curly hair mm. and by my nose mm. and um, yeah, by like, like being like having mm. hairy arms and legs. Um, yes, same. Yeah. And, all of those yeah and like i was bullied like i was teased for all of them mm. especially my nose mm. um and yeah like uh I, um yeah i didn't i didn't speak much about my i spoke about what it was like i said from the outside i don't really know what that means but like what it's what, how I feel other people have interacted with me as a person of color. Mm. I haven't really spoken about how I've interacted with me as a person of color. Mm. But I think it's made me hypersensitive to how I fit into spaces, especially mm. white spaces. Mm. Um, and I think... I don't... I wouldn't say that I'm white passing. <laughs> Would you say that you are? 
I always thought I was. So did I. I, I think like, people want me to say that I am. Yeah. Okay. I think I am to an extent, but I think that comes with like race, not experiencing racism. Yeah, but I don't right. think I am in terms of what I was talking about. Right. And my experience as a person. Right. But I think we're a bit different. And right. I think the Arab man kind of thing that having a beard relates you to yeah. is separate mm. but at from the my same, experience. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, people have much more frequently, like, you know, when people are quite hot, like, where are you from? And, like, I used to humor it. Now I don't because I realized that it, was, it wasn't good for me. Mm. Um, they would often guess, like, somewhere in the Mediterranean coast. Yeah. It's interesting because I think you grew up in probably a white area. Yeah. And I didn't. Yeah. So I think that explains, like, you know, in my high school, like, there weren't that many white people. Mm. Yeah, my high school was predominantly white. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that comes from, I think that is why it's only been quite recent, like in the last, like literally the last year mm. where I've been like, oh no, I'm not, like I'm not white mm. because I am around white people mm. more. Yeah. Like I guess Melbourne Uni or whatever and just where I work, yeah. like in all of those sorts of environments that are different. Mm. Do you think, do you feel comfortable? Like in my body? Yeah. Yes and no. A lot of the time, no. But I think I do consciously. Okay. I think unconsciously I don't, which I guess, yeah, because it's not, you know, I guess in the same, what we're talking about at the beginning of our conversation about being palatable and making yourself likable and all of yeah. that. And, you know, I think it's come with me letting go of that where I've become more comfortable in just being myself. But there is, I guess there's, there's like a loneliness to being, to not having also ties to a culture, which I don't, I don't have ties to a culture. So I don't have people that like look like me or have bodies like me. And mm. so in that sense, it's quite hard to feel comfortable mm. because I feel it's hard because I still think I do want validation from other people Yeah, and the people around me who I want validation from, don't understand. Don't understand. And they don't look like me and they're not, they don't have my experience. So it's hard. And I think I do still. It's yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. It's not the same. And it's. Yeah. But there's still that desire for that. It's interesting because I can talk about, I don't like being an object of like, I don't like, I feel uncomfortable about being seen or like sexualized for my color or whatever. Mm. But like at the same time, there's something in that that's like comforting because you've been taught to be comforted by that. Yeah. And that is your validation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there is, there's like, it's like, yeah, like loving the, the force that controls you. Yeah. That I think I still, I'm not free from. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, well, we've covered a lot of ground, and this has been this has been a raw conversation. Um, it's how we like it. Yeah, and it's been pretty heavy, um, but it's been honest. 
and we speak a lot about things, Steph. Yes. We could talk for we could we could keep talking. Yeah. Um and we I think it was good that we didn't have a a a list of things yes. to talk about and that we just let it flow. Mm-hmm. Um but of course that means that not, we didn't really complete any of the things that we spoke about, but they're, they're too big to be completed. Um, but thank you for, thank you for being, yeah, thank you for being able to understand. Thank you for understanding the experience that I've had and for engaging with it and for sharing the experience that you've had. Because I haven't really had that with many people, like not even with my parents. So thanks a lot. I, thank you. I really appreciate it. And thank you for coming on the podcast. I love it. Woman of the radio. Self-proclaimed. <laughs> we do what we can. Do we? Mm. Okay. Thank you. We out. Hey, well, that was pretty cool, right? Um, I hope you liked listening to me and Steph and I hope you like Steph. Um, I like Steph. Um, I'll keep this short. So I'm just going to jump onto what I'm going to be talking about in my next episode. Um, next time I will talk with who appears to be like the world's freedom of speech expert. Um, her name is Professor Adrian Stone. She is from the University of Melbourne's law school. And we speak about freedom of speech, about academic freedom, about deplatforming, and about Julian Assange and about, um, yeah, the big question of freedom of speech, I guess. Where should we draw the line in terms of policing what people should or shouldn't say? Anyway, until next time. Love, Alex. Alex.